0: Please stand for the reading of the word from Micah 5. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall live secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be the one of peace. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. It's good to have you here today, whether you're uh, here uh, in our audience or if you're online joining us, Uh, particularly to our college students who are are in the throes of it right now. Uh, The end is near in a good way. And... uh, and you're going to make it through. It's, we're glad you were here this morning. Uh, you mean a lot to us. We're, we're going through this season of Advent by looking at the stories that Matthew and Luke, and, and to some extent John, uh, used to quote, to frame who Jesus is. And, and you see it in Matthew, so that, so that, you, so that the, the scripture was fulfilled, and it would, it would quote Micah or, or Isaiah. Uh, and, and what we're doing is we're going to look at some of those texts, those those. those Words from those prophets. Because we said this last week, a prophet, at least in the Old Testament sense, is is not someone that is a a soothsayer or someone that can foresee the future or someone that's kind of an astrologer. A prophet speaks the word of God. And when God says light, stars appear in the sky. When God says, Earth, planets are flung into the galaxies, God's words create reality. So when God uses a prophet to say, Messiah, brothers and sisters, I need to tell you, the world is about to change. So we're in Micah chapter 5, if you want to turn your Bible there, you're going to, we're going to reference kind of Micah 3 and Micah 4, so you can kind of float around in those, those three chapters as, as we go through the text together. But when, we, when we, Micah is, is, a, is an Old Testament prophet, and it's curious because there seems to be two looming threats that he kind of straddles, the Babylonians and the Syrians, and at least in chapter uh, 4 and 5, the Babylonians are the looming threat to Israel, and those These two nations will come to conquer, not because their army is stronger, even though it is, not because their empires are larger, even though they are, or that their leaders have greater political power and reach, even though they do. Chapters 3 and then 4, they lead up to this doom oracle against Assyria. And I love that phrase, doom oracle. That's just awesome. That's like a metal band. And it's startling. And it begins in chapter 3 that one day God will establish the mountain, Zion, where God's presence will be filled. Now, mind you, this is after David and Solomon have built the temple, right? This is after that moment. So he's not talking about the temple in Israel where God's presence comes to rest as if anyone could contain the presence of God anywhere on this planet. Mike is talking about something else. The presence of God. And where God's presence will be felt, it will be a place of wisdom, it'll be a place of worship, but most importantly, it'll be a place of justice. It's where a good judge will settle disputes, where swords are turned into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. It's where peace among the nations exists and each one has their own place to live, their own tree to set under without fear. It's this beautiful picture of what happens when Zion comes. But, but then there is this heart-pounding drum beat. And, and Micah, Micah uses the phrase, but now. And that one day this future is assured, but now you will cry aloud. But now many nations are gathered against you. But now you must leave the city and hide in the fields, but now they will lay siege to the city, but now they will strike Israel's ruler with the rod on the cheek, which is kind of an odd phrase, but I want to unpack it for a second. They will strike Israel's ruler with the rod on the cheek. That's not the way that Israel's ruler, that story is supposed to go. Israel's ruler is supposed to have a sword who goes out in victory in the name of the Lord. But instead, Israel's ruler will be struck with a rod on the cheek. It's kind of like a schoolmarm striking a student's uh, knuckles with a ruler. A rod was used as a teaching device on children. The idea there is that Israel's ruler is going to have to be taught like a child how to behave. It's an embarrassment. It's a shame The story turns on this phrase. But now the terror is coming. But, God says, but they. Those empires that go against you, those nations that are rising up. But they don't understand God's plan. What looks like a siege, an inescapable defeat, is God gathering the enemies of Israel to the threshing floor. And what happens on the threshing floor is you get whooped. Because Babylon has a stronger army. A bigger economy, has more political reach and power. Ba- Babylon has a better command of social media. Babylon hasn't aged today since high school. Be- Babylon has a better defense and high scoring point guards. Babylon is out for your well being. Babylon is out for your marriage. Babylon is out for the part of you that reminds you that you are God's child. Babylon is sieging and is telling you that the age of faith is over. That values and integrity are a joke. That the you'll never get ahead unless you cheat. But now Babylon is on your phone. But now Babylon is at your work. But now Babylon is at your door. Adam Hearson has an interesting point. He says that hope is the possibility is the partner of possibility. He says hope is the partner of possibility. A siege was designed to do one thing, hold a city until it starves, wait until the city starves. It doesn't have to attack, it just has to cut off all of the supply lines that remain around the city until it is isolated. The attacker may choose to build a ramp to negate the power of the city walls. The, the, the attacker may choose to use a ram to knock down the city gates to... to make it easier to get in, but the real enemy of the city, the sieged, is time, as days turn into weeks, and weeks turn into months, meals turn into morsels, and shoe leather suddenly seems like a good option for dinner. The only hope for a city under siege is rescue from the outside, and victory for the invaders— it's not the moment that they capture the city. The victory for the invaders is the moment the siege can only conceive of two options, death or surrender. Sociologist, the, or social theorist, Pierre Bourdieu, can't say that right, Bourdieu. it's not going to happen. My brother Pierre conceives of human action as the complex negotiation of an imagination that is always calculating the possibilities for success. It's only in folk tales and fairy tales, and maybe Pixar movies, do we conceive of social wor- worlds where every possibility is equally available to every person. The truth is, we do not all have equal access to the possibility of becoming a Supreme Court justice, Or a professional basketball player, or a preaching minister. It's just not possible. (laughs) You're with me, Lauren. All right. But Bourdieu argues that we all of us internalize the outside possibilities and then let those internalized possibilities guide our imaginations. Every action is thus preceded by an unexamined social. Uh, subconscious calculation that asks is that possible for someone like me possibility is therefore also a question of power what power do I have to achieve my interests and is it enough when the outside world lays siege and repeatedly only tells you how you are it removes the part of you that is probably closest to the image of God, that part of you that buries that, your ability to create things out of nothing, to speak words that create new realities in your life and in the lives of others, and leaves you with binary questions of either or, this or that. And the outside enemy doesn't win when they've conquered you. The outside enemy wins when you believe you only have two options left. Brothers and sisters, hope is easy to wound, but it is hard to kill. As Micah makes it clear, the prophetic imagination has so much more to offer than two options, and the end is never the end until God says it's the end. And so Micah responds with the now they, with a but they. They don't understand God's plan. What looks like a siege, an inescapable defeat, is God gathering the enemies of Israel to the threshing floor because what happens at a threshing floor is you get whooped. But then the story turns on another phrase. Not only, but they, but, but you. Micah chapter 5. But you, Bethlehem, Apathoroth, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler of Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach even the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. And that's where our reading stops for today. But Micah continues on and says, When the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses. But you, Bethlehem, because sometimes unexpected good things come from unexpected places. Nobody would expect a ruler or a king to come from Bethlehem. That's supposed to come from Jerusalem. That's supposed to come from the place of power. That's supposed to come from where all the kings are born. But maybe Micah means something different. After all, Bethlehem is translated literally house of bread. It's this small sleepy town outside of the city. Maybe that's the place where some of the Jerusalem folk fled when the siege engines come. And they're going to be the ones that break out Jerusalem. Maybe they'll be the ones that provide food. Maybe Maybe Micah means something different, that it's not just the city itself, but, but the legacy behind the city. If you were to go to the city of Bethlehem about this time, you would find somewhere a plaque in that little village that said, this was the birthplace of King David kind of the, the tourist marker that showed everyone why this city is on the map. And this is where David came from. David was the king who led with justice and wisdom, who sought after the Lord with all his heart. It was kind of the high peak of the, of the spiritual community of Jerusalem. And out of that place, that's the kind of king we need. So what does Matthew mean when he references this text? When Matthew talks about this text, he puts it where we were last week in the context of of Herod and and the Magi. Those wise astrologers come from the east, and they they come because they've seen the star in the sky. They know the truth about the new king, and naturally they go to Jerusalem. That's where all the kings would be, and they say, we want to see him. We have these gifts. We want to honor the new king, and Herod looks at them and says, what king? There's no new babies in his house. It's kind of that awkward moment. And Herod goes to the rulers of Israel and says, Tell me, where where did you say this Messiah would come from? Of course they knew. Everybody knew. Micah chapter 5 tells us it's new. In John chapter 7, people wrestle with this very same question because they see Jesus as an adult doing signs and wonders, powerful miracles. And they say to themselves, This must be Messiah. But it can't be because Messiah is supposed to come from Jerusalem, or excuse me, Bethlehem. But this guy's from Nazareth. So those wise men of Israel tell Herod, Bethlehem. That's where it comes from. I love the end of that verse that we skip over during Advent. And he will be our peace when. He will be our peace when the Assyrians invade our land and march through our fortresses. He will be our peace even when Babylon is on the rise and at our doors and sometimes in our hearts because hope is easy to wound but it's hard to kill and the promise of Advent, as we, as we think about what hope and peace means, is that hope, when it hangs on, leads to this place of peace. It leads to that longing when the city, the Zion, comes back down and we get to experience the good of God in full. But even so, even now, our peace remains. Because the peace is not in our success. It's not in our flourishing, it's in a baby that was born in a little podunk town. Because sometimes the most important, unexpected things come from the most unlikely of places. Small little cities, new baby children, a new spirit that blows through a church. I think the key is you never know where God's peace is going to land. But keep hope burning in your heart so you see it when it does. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come to the front. We've started a new season here at Highland where we want to be available to pray for you. Our shepherds and some of our prayer team are going to be available at the end of the service. Just come on down to the front after the benediction. They would love to pray with you. They would love to talk with you. If that means that you need to go out and get a cup of coffee with somebody, they're absolutely willing to do it. If it means that it's time to walk with someone for a season, they're willing to do that too. They want to be available for you. Would you please stand for our benediction? in a world that seems like it's full of darkness, you, brothers and sisters, know the truth, that light is dawning and has dawned, and we look forward to the next morning when Christ returns. And so then, may our wounded peace provide us, I'm sorry, may our wounded hope provide us with the peace that gathers with you this week. May you be filled with God's Spirit. May you go with him.